from our hearts, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Good morning, and uh, I'll be accused of being Pollyannish, but I was out early this morning, and it was really very, very pleasant. But now as I sit uh, ensconced in, indoors, uh, I hear uh, the sound of wind, so the wind will be picking up. And as all good Minnesotans know, boy, we can take the cold, but that wind is uh, is tough on us. So it sounds like it's going to blow for a little while, but uh, hope not much longer. I'm ringing bells today, but uh, my wife and I are ringing indoors. Oh, good. So we still get that rush of air from the doors that will uh, chill you a little bit. So you have no problem falling asleep while you're ringing the bells, which is, <laughs> uh, is a good thing. And uh, people are, man, if anybody ever wonders why we live here, it's people are so generous, generous and, and kind. And it's just, uh, it's, it's fun ringing the bells. And uh, I uh, get to talk to a lot of people. You don't, you know, there's some folks, I think the only time I talk to them during the year is when I'm ringing bells, and it's just nice to see them. I, and on that, I want to thank everybody that showed up at the Elberly Seed House on Saturday. We had a uh, visit, to, I can't remember what they called it, Go to the Birds with Al Bad, I think. And a lot of wonderful folks came in there, and then I had the pleasure of speaking at a retirement uh, you know, it's a banquet if it's potluck. I think potluck <laughs> Ew, is yeah. better than it's better than a lot of the banquet food. And had a uh, a retirement party for a couple guys from the Keister Fire Department. Uh, one is a good friend by the name of Brian Haroldson. Everybody calls him Harry, and he's retiring in three weeks, I believe, after 37 years. Maybe a dozen of those as fire chief. So I. Uh, I appreciate the volunteer firefighters so much. They just do so much good. And where I live, we have seen a lot of them in action through the years, barn fires and various things, combine fires, and uh, we had a house fire, a neighbor's house burned, and all these things. I've seen these people come out in the worst of weather conditions and throw cold water on things, which is, boy, like a dream come true. So it's uh, I appreciate him very, very much. Uh, Rick Mammel uh, is a friend from Albert Lee, and he affixed decoys to, uh, it's Albert Lee Audubon, has these purple martin houses, and they, why would you put decoys on a uh, on a purple martin house? Well, they're purple martin decoys. They look like purple martins, and you fix them to the purple martin houses as a tool to attract purple martins. So that all makes sense. What they attracted were Cooper's hawks, and they were at least <laughs> one, and they were attacked by Cooper's hawks, which totally destroyed the decoys. Oh. So it's a yeah, boy, they just hit them so hard. Al, do they repel any other kind of birds the the decoys or not no no and their main thing i think when they first came out was they wanted to do attract purple martins and sometimes they'll play dawn songs along with them to attract purple martins but some feel now that it there's a second thing to be gained if a cooper's hawk flies in and hits that purple martin decoy several times it might say, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else where the purple martins are, are edible and not quite so hard. So they think it might uh, discourage Cooper's hawks, which are the prime uh, attacker here, uh, from 
hitting that purple martin house because they do prey upon purple martins. They find them, I would guess, fairly easy picking. I um, was by um, the beautiful town of Heartland has two churches. Uh, as you might, if you wanted to take a wild stab, you'd say, boy, I bet they're both Lutherans, and boy, you'd be a winner. <laughs> Uh, we have Heartland Lutheran and Cross of Glory. And Heartland Lutheran is just not far from the post office. So when I walk by there, I see Eurasian collared doves. They're grayish brown with a black collar. They're chunkier than morning doves. And they have blunt tipped tails, unlike the morning dove's longer pointed tail, like a sword scabbard. And the males do that. And they sing all winter long, which I just find uh, lovely. I love hearing any kind of song during the the winter, and uh, I don't know why they do it. It seems like a complete waste of energy. Uh, Snowmobilers, snowshoers, skiers, those making money by moving snow aren't the only ones happy to see snow. Uh, I know a meteorologist that's just so happy to see snow. I should include him in there, too. But there's voles, and again, that's with a V, V-O-L-E, vole. They live in a subnivian zone, and that's the area between the surface of the ground and the bottom of the snowpack. And voles retreat there because it's a grocery store. There's all kinds of food for them down in there. The temperature probably stays around 32 degrees or something, so it's comfortable for them because they're wearing fur coats. And it protects them from the cold, the wind, and predators. And when we see foxes jump up in the air and dive down nose first in the snow, they're pinning voles to the ground and then eating them. So they're listening for voles under that snow. I have a male pheasant, a rooster, come into my yard, and he feeds under my bird feeders. And uh, I'm always happy to see him, but I realize he probably doesn't want to be here because he doesn't like humans very much because let's face it uh, humans are trying to kill him which you know would make him not like us very much but he crows he he comes in here and he crows and they like uh, like the Eurasian collar dove male pheasants crow all year they crow throughout the year Hmm. they do kind of a cow cat they proclaim and then they make a (laughs) drumming sound with their wings while they're doing that and during severe winter weather pheasants can go two weeks without food they're able to reduce their metabolism i'm sure it does them no good whatsoever but they're able to go two weeks they are also able to detect sounds or ground vibrations from long distances and i notice when i walk around the house that makes just enough sound that he'll kind of jump up and run a few steps every so often before he kind of becomes used to it. The Department of Game and Fish acquired 70 pairs of pheasants from the West, from Wisconsin and Illinois, and they released them in Minnesota in 1905. None survived. In 1916, the Minnesota Game Protective League, which I believe was a, uh, a uh, just a group of sportsmen's clubs, 
they established a game farm on Big Island in Lake Minnetonka. The Game and Fish Department assumed that operation in 1917, and by 1922, pheasants had been released in 78 of Minnesota's 87 counties, and Minnesota held its first hunt in 1924. I hope it's a, a nice winter, not only for uh, uh, humans, but I hope it's a nice one on behalf of pheasants. They don't always do well in uh, bad, bad winters. Uh, there's some December weather folklore. A windy Christmas is a sign of a good year to come. And I don't know if that means a tire will be coming your way, a good year tire, but <laughs> I think it'll be just a, a real good year. And I would guess there this folklore is indicative of maybe a good year for growing crops and things. If Christmas Day be bright and clear, there'll be two winters in the year. Well, you know, boy, it's nice. We don't want that, I guess. We don't need two winters. Uh, white Christmas, green Easter, green Christmas, white Easter. And I've heard that all hmm. my life. Uh, December, changeable and mild, the whole winter will remain a child. And that's kind of, that's probably what we want right there. Uh, there's some things to listen to as far as phonology goes. Great horned owl pairs are hooting duets. Uh, raccoons, they are not true hibernators, so they may forage when temperatures hit 20 degrees or above. And I know a lot of folks like finding antlers, and most white-tailed deer bucks shed antlers, you know, in mid-January probably, but some do earlier, some do in December, especially when the bucks are stressed by severe weather conditions. Uh, Christmas bird counts in the area. The Nye Center, Nye Nature Center, is having theirs on December 14th, Austin on December 15th, Fairmont, December 19th, Mankato, December 21st, and Albert Lee, December 22nd. So if you are a gung-ho Christmas bird counter, you can get out there and do all five of those. They're spread out just for you. And if you want to check out more, you can go to MOU, Minnesota Ornithologist Union, online, and they will give you contact information. Will you be at any of I, them, Al, of the, the bird counts? Yeah, I will be. More yep. than one? Uh, I, yeah, yep, I sure hope so. Well, I know people would we like all, to meet you, so where, where might you be, or is that like secret, top secret info? Yeah, those are, yeah, I'll definitely be at the Albert Lee, and I hope some of the other ones. And, uh, you know, they're one of those things where we'll see, uh, depending on family obligations and that sort of thing. But I'll definitely be on the Albert Lee one on the 22nd. And we meet at the Caribou. Everybody says uh, you meet at the Caribou at the Hy-Vee. Well, there's two uh, Hy-Vees. There's a gas station and a supermarket, and they both have a Caribou. So we meet at the one, uh, the Hy-Vee, because so they can get more coffee there, I think, is why people like meeting there. Uh, but we'll be doing that on the morning. I think it's around 8 o'clock on the 22nd. But I hope to make maybe Mankato or maybe even the Nice Center. I've done the Austin one a lot, and uh, they're, you know, they're all so fun. You just wish, don't you wish, Karen, that you could be two places at one time? Just or more. Magically, you know? Yeah, click your heels and say, yeah, 
boy, I'll be there. We could just tell everybody, can you make it? Oh, you betcha. I'll be there. You know, Al, one of the reasons I've never go to a bird count, I guess I did did go to one, is because I don't feel confident in my bird identifying skills. So I, I hesitate to go. But, I mean, how do you, I guess, how do you get to know it if you don't do it? So how does that work for somebody who's a newbie? Or a rube, as my kids would say, oh. like me. <laughs> they would love to um, have you there. They, oh, there's nothing a birder enjoys more than having somebody that's maybe doing their first Christmas bird count. They just, uh, a bunch of them will say, well, come with me. No, come with me. I'm in a much better territory, and so they'll fight over you a bit, and they just, uh, they just love doing that. So they're very kind and open and welcoming. So they will take you out, and, oh, you know, they'll say, well, you can tell that's a red-breasted nuthatch and not a white-breasted, and they'll tell you why, what the difference is. So they, uh, you don't have to worry about not being able to tell. What they're looking for is somebody that's just willing to do it, and maybe uh, enthusiasm is always a great thing. You love to see that in folks that want to look at birds. So I encourage anybody and everybody, do not let your seeming lack of knowledge. I think once you get out there and look at birds, you'll be amazed how much you already knew. You'll say, well, I, I knew that was that <laughs> bird. And you'll just find all those, uh, it, that inner knowledge that will come out when you're out looking at things. You'll say, man, I just know a lot more about birds than I ever dreamed I knew. So, Well, do you know, hanging out it. with my dad, you know, we were in the woods a lot because we cut, cut wood and we did maple syruping and stuff. And that's how I learned to identify trees. People are always amazed, like, well, how do you know that's this kind of tree or that kind of tree and my dad would always point out not only the leaves but the bark and everything and so I guess it's just like the kind of thing you just have to keep doing it and then the more you do it and know the more you appreciate it and want to do more. I lead uh, wildflower walks every year and I have a lot of the same people come every year because mm-hmm. they forget over the like <laughs> the from one spring to another so then we go walk and they'll say I know that I know that flower and I'll identify it for them, and that seems to trip a, a trigger. And all of a sudden, they're they're remembering all the other flowers. So you're exactly right. It just takes doing over and over and over again. And I'm so glad they come every time. And after they're there for a while, I just all I have to do is walk along, and they identify everything and tell stories about them. So it's a, a wonderful thing. I got a a neat text message from a listener one day, and he said, uh, when I was a boy, I had an ant farm. And what kind of ants worked on that farm? And (laughs) I was so proud I knew the answer. They were, uh, I should say, they were likely, because I imagine there were different kinds of ants, but they were primarily harvester ants. And I love ants. I find ants so fascinating. Ohio State researchers discovered that the American field ant can withstand pressures up to 5,000 times greater than its own weight. What? 5,000 times. So if I yeah, step on they, it, it's going to live? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's got a good shot, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, and we have the black garden ant queen is found throughout Europe and in certain parts of Asia and now in certain parts of North America. It, she can live 15 years, although there's been some claims of up to 30 years. And despite their name, no ants are found in Antarctica. You'd think, oh, man, ants, they must live in Antarctica. No, they don't. But, uh, yeah, they 
I never had an ant farm. I used to look at them at the back of comic books at uh, the barber shop in Heartland and uh, ask for that every uh, every Christmas. My dad would say, here's a jar, throw some dirt in it, and go pick your own ants. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of what I did. So I made my own ant farm. And I would have them for a while, and then my mom would say, you know, those are... are wild creatures they really would be better off outside so do you sooner or later i'd take them i was gonna ask do you need a queen to maintain an ant um your own ant farm because grant for some reason always is on the search for a queen saying that's what he needs to have a complete ant farm and i'm not sure why or if it's just his own idea well, if you want eggs and oh. uh, pupae and those kind of things, then you would. But otherwise, probably not. I could still watch them tunnel and uh, make all those wonderful things. And they would prepare as if there were a queen. And then I'm sure all of a sudden no queen would arrive. And that's probably when I decide I should let these guys <laughs> go. They're kind of they're morose. They're just kind of not doing much because they had nobody there to work for. So, yeah. So if he he wants the whole thing, you know, that's he'd need a queen. I don't think the ant farms and somebody that maybe got an ant farm for Christmas or in the mail could uh, better tell me on that, but I'm sure they probably did not come with a queen. Uh, Mayan Whitmer of Clarks Grove said, she had a bald eagle nest near her rural home this year, and she said it was just so cool and it was so so big. Uh, John Hakama, a friend, uh, saw an American black duck in Olmstead County. Carolyn Fisher of Mason City, I've known Carolyn for many years, has a harlequin duck that she's seeing there. It's on the Big Blue Pond at Lester Milligan Park, right in Mason City, and uh, I have no idea where that is. I know where Mason City is, but that's about it. Uh, Dr. Leo Scorin uh, of Albert Lee, he has turtles. He raises turtles and uh, helps young turtles get to the point so they can be released, and he's, he's just into turtles. And he has found his turtles like John Wayne movies, and uh, I... You know, I couldn't argue with him about that. Uh, Millie Westland of Hayward said the feeders in her yard got so busy the day before the big snow. And, yeah, they birds have that uh, barometric gauge in there. They can tell when the uh, weather's just around the corner. Uh, Patricia Hansen said the sky was ablaze this morning with hues of pink, orange, and red. I hit the local coffee shop. This is the time of the year they carry those expensive, fluffy holiday mint drinks. With a candy cane mocha in hand, I ventured out. I took the road less traveled home. I came upon some turkeys that had survived Thanksgiving. There were 15 of them. Nine were on one side of the river adjacent to the tree line and six on the other side meandering in the cornfield. Teetering on the overhead phone wire was an American kestrel. As I turned onto Old Skunk Hollow Road, that's what the locals call it, two deer crossed in front of me and another one was scavenging corn in a nearby field. Perched high on a dead old oak next to Silver Creek, I was delighted to see a bald eagle. Enjoy your life. Life is good. Uh, enjoy your day. Life is good. Sorry, Patricia. Uh, Brian Smith saw a yellow rump warbler and a brown-headed cowbird in Watwin County. Mark, oh gosh, Mark, is it tack or tacky? T-A-C-K-E. Uh, saw a tundra swan in Brown County. 
Marion Ball of Faribault saw a red-winged blackbird at her feeder and an old friend that I haven't heard from for a long time, Jeff Stevenson, seeing a Carolina wren in Olmstead County. So a lot of neat things out there uh, to be seen. Uh, somebody said, I saw a cowbird recently. Shouldn't it have left here? Well, most of the brown-headed cowbirds have flown south, but some overwinter in southern Minnesota, and they are reported on Christmas bird counts. I sometimes see them in the winter on backs of livestock, and a cowbird feeding on the ground might show a raised tail. And for many years, I would find a brown-headed cowbird on Christmas bird count, and before they had all the online stuff, I had to fill out all kinds of paperwork, actual paperwork, and uh, we didn't all have a camera then to take pictures. Now it's so easy on so many of those things, people just take a photo of them. But I had to fill out reams of paperwork through the years for brown-headed cowbirds. Oh, a nice uh, listener sends an email, so I'm thinking of getting my wife a bug zapper for Christmas. Do they work? <laughs> wow, what an awesome Christmas present, huh, for middle yeah. of winter. <laughs> what a romantic devil yes. he is. Uh, do they work? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, the Rutgers Center for Vector Biology found that bug zappers kill a lot of insects, but they kill very, very, very few mosquitoes. And I think the continued popularity of the zappers is probably due to the sound effects, uh, those popping <laughs> that assures owners that they've, they've made a good investment. It's working. And most of the popping sounds are moths, M-O-T-H-S, and they're lured into the trap because they attempt to navigate by the moon, and they see that, and they fly into it. Uh, bug zappers aren't the only useless things foisted upon us folks attempting to avoid mosquito bites. Scientific studies have repeatedly shown that electronic mosquito repellers do little in the way of reducing mosquito annoyance. Uh, citrosa plants, there are another way someone takes advantage of consumers. Uh, mosquitoes are able to alight upon the leaves of those plants. I think maybe some of the sprays made from the plants might have some... Uh, some use, but the plants themselves, mosquitoes just light on them and say, hey, thanks for putting this out. <laughs> um, mosquitoes produce that annoying buzz that drives us all crazy when one gets into the bedroom. They beat their wings 300 to 600 times per second. 300 to 600 times per second. I just, I just, I can't get my head around that at all. And they don't live very long, mosquitoes, but they make it up for it by volume and irritation. I would not get her a bug zapper, I guess. I, I'd get her, I, I got another email from somebody who said, do you have suggestions for Christmas gifts for my bird brain brother? Um, I have a long but far from exhaustive list for bird brains everywhere. Uh, binoculars. Yeah, everybody loves binoculars. I just talked to somebody who's getting a a six- and a nine-year-old grandchildren. And I said, you know, maybe you want to just get them some, like, little plastic ones to begin with and see how they take to them and then uh, maybe make a, a greater investment into binoculars. Uh, calendars. There's all kinds of calendars with nature, no matter what kind of nature you like, if it's birds or flowers or mountains. Uh, backpacks. Who doesn't like a backpack? You can't walk 10 feet in the city without running into two people with backpacks. 
Uh, warm socks. Oh, if you spend any time outside, you love warm socks. Trail cameras. So you can be the guy saying, here, here's the cougar I saw and it was in my yard. Uh, bird feeders are just wonderful things. Uh, membership to a nature organization. There's a lot of wonderful uh, nature centers that are local uh, that are wonderful to become a member to. Audubon is another one. Uh, the MOU, the Minnesota Ornithologist Union, there's kind of an endless number. Uh, books are field guides. And I mentioned this one, I promote it as much as I can, state park stickers. It's a, yes. one of those gifts that gives for a full 12 months. And there's a, every state park in the state you can go to. Uh, camp chairs. I saw one the other day, well, before winter hit, but he had a camp chair. It was a rocker. So he's sitting there rocking in that camp chair. And I thought, man, that looks really comfortable. Uh, fanny packs. Uh, gloves or mittens, and maybe a subscription to something like Birdwatcher's Digest or Audubon Magazine or an endless number of other of those. Uh, so there's a lot of things out there that you can get for uh, uh, people. I see stocking caps now that have a Bluetooth in it, so you can listen to your iPod by having this. They have speakers in them, apparently, so you put that over your ears, a stocking cap. It'd be great for runners or walkers and people that are outdoors, so I've not tried one, but it sounds like a pretty good idea. You know, But sometimes uh, good ideas don't always work too well, but I, I shouldn't say more without trying it. But keeps your ears warm and keeps you enter, your ears entertained at the same time. It sounds like a pretty cool thing, so... And, uh, oh, what else? Maybe um, uh, oh, people probably have so many of these, but uh, travel mugs and those sort of things, I guess people can always use them. I know I just hauled a bunch of them down to the Salvation Army because we seem to accumulate them. You go to seminars and meetings, and very often you get some of those mugs. And they're all wonderful, but you can only use so much, and you fill a cupboard space with them. So I hope somebody at the Salvation Army will find a, a use for them. I hope, I hope, I hope. So it's uh, if somebody else has some wonderful Christmas ideas, uh, I, I'd love to hear about them, because uh, we all struggle some I shouldn't say we all uh, me I struggle sometimes on what to get people and I write things down all year when somebody says boy I I gotta get one of those some days I write I write it down in a little notebook because I think that'll save me having to stagger up and down those uh, store aisles and I don't know what to get anybody and then some helpful clerk comes over and says may may I help you and I, I don't know or they say do you need help and I said in many ways but uh, what do you say you just say I'm looking for a gift and they say, well, we got a store full of them so it's really I, I feel sorry for a store clerk sometimes. I bet they're so happy when Christmas is over. It must be a uh, leave them in a frazzle, I would think. But it's a great time of the year. And, you know, I don't hear that uh, rush of wind as I sit here now. So I think maybe it's Calm dying down. down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. See, I have well, a, 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 a 
a question for you from our friend John in New Ulm. He said it's a <clears throat> very easy one for Al, which I know you hate. Oh, here we go. Yep. Yeah, the curse. Why do fish live in salt water? Why do fish <laughs> live in salt water? Because they don't like pepper? Because pepper makes them sneeze. Oh, I was so close. So Boy, easy, I, yeah. I could see the answer there almost. Yeah, well, I can understand that. Thank you, John, for um, letting me one that I, giving me one that I almost got. Almost. So I, I, almost, yeah. And sometimes, you know, that's almost as good as getting it. I hope that everybody will come to the cafe uh, where the food chain is missing a few links, especially as always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I was at a Christmas party with friends and one had made shoe fly pie. Oh, I love shoe fly pie. It's a molasses crumb cake baked in a pie crust. And it was powerful good. There was no fruitcake at this particular feast day for friends. And I like fruitcake. There, I've admitted it. It's <laughs> difficult to say that. People will look at you differently from that point on when you say, I like fruitcake. But I have to admit, I like it best when none of the ingredients is sawdust. I'm keen on <laughs> fruitcake wearing a layer of whipped cream. And I like some fruitcake better than others, but that's true about all foodstuffs. I wish I'd been eating fruitcake instead of a salad, greens, and walnuts at a banquet in Sitka, Alaska. I broke a tooth. Uh, I didn't do it for me. It was a Christmas gift for my dentist. Remember, folks, thank everybody. It's, uh, we have so much to be thankful for. A good way to um, show that thanks is just thank everybody, the person that delivers the mail, all those wonderful things, the people that open the door, all those kind little acts that make life that much better. Remember, Heartland, is while we're driving past, thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. And you're going to, we're going to talk, can we talk just real quick? I'll give you five places to go in Florida. Yes, I'm going to be in Florida. I'm going to be on the, kind of the east, the southeast side, West Palm Beach, Stewart, um, that, so kind of that area. So I'm just curious, where's a good place maybe to go if you have any recommendations, either gardens or birds? I Those are a couple things that I'm really interested in. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people say the Dry Tortugas National Park, but that's 70 miles west of Key West in the Gulf of Mexico, and that's where so many go. Uh, Merritt Island National Wildlife Refuge in Titusville, they have a big Space Coast Birding and Wildlife Festival. It's one of the, just a great place. Uh, Everglades National Park, of course, then you can, uh, uh, you just see everything. Even the rare ghost orchid manatees, that sort of thing thing there. Uh, I think a favorite of a lot of people that go down and maybe more in your area be the Jan Ding Darling National Wildlife Refuge on Sanibel Island. And then Lake Okeechobee, if for no other reason, just because of its name, and that's in <laughs> South Florida. So those are probably the five biggest ones. And you said you'd be by Fort 
Fort. No, you're going to be by Palm Beach, West Palm. West Beach, Palm Beach, say. Fort Pierce, Stewart, kind of on that. That uh, it's of course Fort, sort of the Fort central. Lauderdale. Yeah, east, east. It's on the east side. We're going to be right on actually the east um, on the coast. We're staying in a place there, right on the. Um, so we will be able to see the ocean where we're, where we're at. Well, you'll be happy to hear that all five of these that I gave you are far, far away from <laughs> West Palm Beach. Well, so. are there any certain types of birds I should really look for that really we don't have here that I'll be amazed at because I don't haven't seen them? Yeah, there are a lot. And again, if you get to some of those five, and I'm sorry, none of them will be near you, uh, you can see so many of uh Oh, I call them like big red or big orange birds. Hmm. Uh, roseate spoonbills are the one that a lot of people really love to see. And I think that's one of the birds, if people see them, it makes the whole trip. So roseate spoonbills. Okay. And I hope they have some somewhere nearby you there so you can go see them because they, uh, they will make your day. And maybe I'll see an alligator or two. You should see some alligators, uh, our American crocodiles, and uh, oh, all those wonderful things down there. Uh, there's uh, brown noddies, there's seen in Florida, gray kingbirds, uh, mangrove cuckoos are found in some areas. They have so many birds that we don't see here, and so you will just have a delightful time. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and looking forward to it will be a little warmer, too. It, oh, yeah, maybe it'll be warmer. Yeah. I hope so. We'll <laughs> I hope keep so. our fingers crossed for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Al. It's great to chat with you. I think next week you'll be talking to it'll be either uh, probably Tim or, or maybe Dwayne. I'm not sure which one, but they'll be filling in for me. So I'll be back in a couple weeks. Until then, happy bird watching. Yep. Bye-bye. Merry thanks. Christmas. You too. Bye-bye, Al. Always great to talk to our good friend Al Bat, and he's just a great guy. And he gave some great ideas there for birder gifts and stuff and if you miss some of that we're going to put the albat birding with bat segment on our soundcloud you can go to kmsu go to soundcloud kmsu and i'll do it after the show so it won't be up there right immediately but you can tune in anytime and hear